To truck it, I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent the Dude. Hey, good Friday afternoon, everybody. Beautiful day out there today, man. It's one of those fall days that is just amazing. How are you doing today, I man? What's know. on your mind? Locked in here. We had we had F3, you know, very grueling what? event going through. It was a great time, though. Uh, uh, it's not, it almost feels like Saturday because we did so many shows. In it, a does. Row, it does. It does you know? feel like Saturday. I feel like I'm giving you guys extra time this week. Well, it was a great time, though. <laughs> we got to catch up with Alex Rodriguez, who's the founder of Embark yeah. Trucks, right from the showroom floor. We heard from another young 20-something founder, uh, Adrian Garcia from GateGo. It was fantastic. You know, you talk about the future of freight. Uh, these young gentlemen over here are definitely part of that future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's really, really strong. And we talked about that before. You know, good tech or big tech was a camera on the side of a, on the, on the, uh, the starboard side of a, of a truck at, at one point. And now these guys are just doing amazing things with AI. 26 years old, right? $5.9 billion valuation and, on his IPO. Oh, it's amazing. amazing. It's, it's amazing. amazing. We also stuff. introduced Sonar Great. Track at that. We had the amazing yep. keynotes with guys like Mike Isaac, uh, George Abernathy. We gave him a fond farewell with his yeah. cowbell. We're going to play you the video, but we don't there. have – something's going on. We have a little technical difficulty with our video playback machine. So yeah. if that comes up, we will play that one for you because it's great. We also have an awesome visit to Reliance that we wanted to show you guys, and we hope to get that video system back up. Um, yeah, that was a fun time too at Reliance. With absolutely. Chad, well – in the meantime, let's tip the band. Redwood is a leading logistics platform company that has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and logistics consulting, all wrapped into a revolutionary logistics and, technolo- and technology delivery model. Logistics platform as a service known as El Pass. Redwood lives at the intersection of logistics and technology, connecting its customers with technology, talent, and expertise they need to win contact redwood at tell him dude <laughs> let me take over for you there brother redwoodlogistics.com yeah i got the hard there. part <laughs> a lot of words in that read i tell you it's melvy um uh let's hit the headlines nope none of that all right dun, that doesn't dun, work dun, the magic dun, wand's broken too dun, you dun, all right dun, dun. headline number one freight there tech top 25 we'll get into it well during thursday's final day at f3 the virtual experience freightways unveiled the list of companies selected for the yeah. 2022 freight tech 25 in partnership with rider ventures these are 25 companies considered the most transformative and innovative companies in freight tech according to our own founder and ceo Craig Fuller. Some people want to know, how are they determined? Well, the top 25 companies are determined by the handpicked peer group of CEOs, industry leaders, and investors actively investing in this freight market. Uh, The companies were among the Freight Tech 100 companies previously determined by a panel chosen by Freightways. Yeah, and also then the the methodology used to determine the Freight Tech 25 is a simple point system based on how much vote, uh, how each voter ranks the industry's most innovative and or disruptive companies in their opinions. The company receives 25 votes are uh, 25 points for a first place vote, 24 for second, and so on and so on, down to one point for a 25th. And the rankings are set by listing each company's point totals from highest to lowest. This mathematical formula is the same as the one used for the Amway College Football Coaches Poll, the AP Pro 32 rankings, and the AP Top 25 rankings for men's women's college basketball. So, Speaking of rankings, what do you think of OSU's? 
of OSU's rankings, yeah. four. Um, I'm not convinced they're fourth. I think they're top ten, but not fourth. Okay. Oh, that, well, defense still got something to show me, man. I'm nervous, man. We got the spoiler makers coming to town, bro. Well, speaking in this rating, rankings, number one was Project 44, their provider of a advanced supply chain visibility platform for shippers and third-party logistics providers. We had Platform Science, right? Yeah. They're, they're into IoT fleet management, but they also have that partnership with Daimler, and we yeah. did a yeah. number of interviews with the Daimler we people did. at the show. We were hearing about that um, virtual vehicle. The virtual vehicle yeah, software, OEM. yeah. So now you can tie in all those platforms. Amazon Freight, they need no introduction. Baton, Fork Heights was number five. Convoy, number six. Flexport at number seven. We had Emerge at number eight. Keep Trucking at nine. And Tesla at number 10. Um, four things you should know about Project 44. This was kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. Jet McCandless, the founder and CEO of Project 44, he also founded another one of the Freight Tech 25 this year. So it was Carrier Direct. It's the first time in the four-year history there's been one founder to found two companies in that list. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And Jet, super nice guy as well. In the previous uh, three years, the Freight Tech 25 Project 44 has finished second to Amazon, Amazon Freight. This year, Amazon Freight finished third. Ooh, dropped two. Project 44 has been the number one visibility company for all four years. And 11 companies on the Freight Tech list are companies of Project 44, an indication of number one. Yeah, that's not, not bad at all. And uh, rounding out to 25, we've got from 11 down, J.B. Hunt, Triumph Pay, Stored Incorporated down in Atlanta. Love those yeah. guys. C.H. Robinson, Samsara, LoadSmart, Uber Freight, Truckstop.com, Waymo, Too Simple, Flock Freight, Redwood Logistics, DriveWise, Embark Trucks, and Carrier Direct. So why, you know, some people were surprised Tesla dropped, but why, I'm surprised Tesla's even there. What, what, are they, what have they done in freight tech to do I there? think they're just sexy still. Which okay. Is, you know, is that yeah. just because it's a big name? I think so. All right. Where's I the mean, they were there. I think it's residual effect from the, from the, from the truck they're going to build, the, the Class 8 truck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's just, so, it's just residual. Okay. Yeah. All right. Even in anticipation. I, 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 think, I think so. All right, well, let's go over to Campbell University, where the fighting camels reside, and one of those fighting camels is staring at me right now. Bring yourself on air and introduce yourself, Sal. Hi, I'm Sal Mercogliano. I'm an associate professor of history over at Campbell University. Now, okay. I'm, awesome. I'm going to sing the uh, Fighting Camel, Camels Fight song, and you tell me if I've done a good job. You're going to sing it? Fight, fly, camel, fly. Don't spit on the enemy. <laughs> is that, is that is it good? We, 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 we may need to adopt that now. We may need to adopt that. <laughs> now, I know a little inside baseball on you because I work with Bill Priestley over here. He's another one of the producers, and he's, he's over in the back. That's right. And is it true that you used to do color commentary, or maybe you still do, for women's lacrosse over there? I still do. Going into my 10th year doing it. So I did wow. it from right when the program got started. So uh, it's been one of my uh, little tricks uh, for getting some media uh, experiences is doing this. So Bill has uh, been one who actually helped train me so I can do uh, these types of appearances. Beautiful. That is awesome. Can you give us your best call? Give us, give us your best call on the women's lacrosse. Oh, well, yeah, lacrosse is fast moving. So you got to be able yeah. to see it, you know, you know, quick shot around the circle, feet are behind the, the net, quick shot, goal. <laughs> you know, it's fast. It's fast. <laughs> Goal. I do more of the color. I'm not the play, but I'm not the play by play. More of the color commentary. I do that kind of step back and analysis. I got you. I got you. Hey, Sal, before you came up on air, you you sent me an interesting, a really interesting message on uh, what is going on at sea and where the lines have to line up for these vessels. Now, we'll get into that, and we'll also get into the measures that the supply chain task force has taken if they're helping or hurting. But let's start with that line first. Let's start there, Sal. What's going on? 
So there was an announcement put out by the Maritime Exchange, the PMSA, and the PMA. These are the Pacific Maritime Association and the Pacific Merchants Shipping Association that they're going to move the vessels that are in the drift zone and some of that are in the anchorage 150 miles off the coast to basically move them out to prevent pollution really in the area in and around L.A. and Long Beach. And I got to say for a couple of things, I, I have some serious problems with that. The first is – what authority do they have to do that? They're basically ordering ships outside U.S. territorial waters. Now, they do have authority in that a lot of the shipping companies make up these entities, so I guess they can do it that way. But the other issue I have with that has to do with the fact that you're sending these ships out into the California current. That means they're going to have to wind up burning more fuel to maintain their position or else they'll wind up south of Baja if you just let them drift out there. So they're going to be burning more fuel. There's going to be more pollution in the air. You're taking the crews out of the sight of land. That means no internet, no phone service. These crews are already suffering a lot from COVID and the fact that they can't get ashore, they can't get rotated off. And should something happen to the crews on board, they're 150 miles further out to sea before they need them. This sounds like just a pure kind of political move to reduce the number of vessels that people can see at the anchorage, and it really doesn't do anything to resolve the issues in the port. So it's an eyesore. It's uh, They're covering up an eyesore, some smoke and mirrors that it could have some uh, detrimental effects to what's already happening out there, right? How, do, how does this help? Does this help the 24-7 uh, thing? How's the 24-7 working out over there? It's, it's not helping that, this at all because what it's doing is, again, just removing the problem from the face of everyone. The yeah. issue they have is, number one, ships that are arriving with scheduled berth times are getting in on their scheduled berths. The other issue you have, and this is a story that C. Ferrar has been talking about a lot, is that all of a sudden you have a lot of vessels that are showing up at anchorages here waiting for any free spot in the terminal, and they're sitting there for days or weeks. This is coordination between the carriers and the terminal can alleviate a lot of this, but they don't want to do that. They want to keep this kind of first come, first serve process. They're saying now that they're going to create a queue based on when vessels depart, but that means the vessels should be able to slow steam, but this does nothing for those vessels that are just arriving and looking for an opportunity berth to get their containers off. The way you fix this, obviously, is get the containers moving out of the terminal so you can bring ships pier side and offload them. Beautiful, Sal. Now, let's talk about the Supply Chain Disruption Task Force. Uh, we've been watching what they've been doing for about a month and a half now, right? And they had that big meeting where they said the ports were going to go to 24-7. Let's take a look at that vessel schedule. Is this the, let's take a look at that terminal schedule at the Port of L.A. Does that look 24-7 to anybody? Because it doesn't to me, especially on Sunday over there, Sal. Um, yet... In each one of these fact sheets, including the latest one, they keep saying we've gone to 24-7. We're moving the, th the throughput. Not mentioning that maybe you're getting a little bit more throughput through, but there's 81 ships at anchor setting a new record. So yeah, throughput's what are we really up. doing here? <laughs> so let's talk about the first measure, 24-7. Why has it failed so miserably? Well, I mean, 24-7, you have a kink in your supply chain. But what the White House and what a lot of the administration keeps thinking about is there's a single kink, and there's not. There are multiple kinks in this chain, and they're focusing solely on the arrival end, the containers coming into the terminal and getting out the gate. And what they're missing here is that the infrastructure and, and the entire transportation system is holistic. I focus on shipping. I do more on the global shipping side. But it doesn't do you any good to bring as many containers as you can into L.A., Long Beach, or other ports around the United States through the Panama, uh, through the Panama Canal into 
Florida or Texas, if you cannot move those containers on the highways into warehouses, into DCs and be able to move it. And that's the, the issue that we're seeing right now. You know, and a lot of these these measures that they're doing is, I would argue, smoke and, uh, smoke and mirrors right now. Lowering the driving age in interstate from 21 to 18. Yeah, the government can do that. Good luck getting insurance on a driver to do that. It's mm-hmm. going to be really interesting how much we're going to all of a sudden spike up transportation costs to change that. And the 24-7, again, this is part of the White House's attempt. You know, They announced this, that they're putting a blog together, which I think is very 1990s of them. It's fantastic mm-hmm. that they're doing this blog to do it. And they're measuring these three kind of criteria, but they're only measuring it twice a month. So I'm not exactly sure what they think is going to happen. You know, Biden keeps leaning into, and so does the task force, that they're talking to the targets and the the Walmarts of the world. Now, these are the these are shippers that have the most advantage in this market. They have the most mm-hmm. leverage in this market. They have the most free time at ports in this market. Yet, it seems like they're being the only ones considered. Like, it, let's start at twenty four seven. When they talk to them, those were the groups that they mentioned. Oh, they will have uh, more free flow opportunities than everyone else. And it, it seems yeah. like. This was the start of something that we're going to walk through when we go through each one of these measures. But they already started, in my opinion, sort of a bad precedence from there, did they not? I think they did. I mean, where where are the ocean carriers? Where are the terminals in this? You know, have you seen a president from an ocean carrier? Have you seen a director of a, of a terminal? You've seen Gene Soroka. You've seen Mario Cardona from Long Beach on, but you have not seen the terminals on there. And I'll make the argument that the ocean carriers and even the terminals have really – everything to gain by this continuing. They're making record profits. You look at the stories. I mean, we're looking at container companies making $150 billion so far this year. Maersk just reported over $16 billion so far to date in 2021. What's the incentive for them to change anything at this point? And again, you see the attempt to create this hyper-demerge in the ports of LA and Long Beach, but that's going to be just passed right on to the shippers and the consumers, that's not going to be paid by these carriers. They're going yeah, to so, immediately so, get rid of it. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're talking about smoke and mirrors and record profits and incentives. The $100 hyper-demerge yeah. type of thing. How is that helping anybody? It doesn't solve moving the containers out or in. Uh, so how is that affecting the shippers and how does that help them? Does that further exacerbate the problem between the small guy and the little or the big guy and the little guy? I don't think it helps in, in any way at all, Michael, because I think one of the things that it is, it's it's a part of this effort, again, to move the ships off the coast, you know, remove the problem, let's move it. You're seeing that dwell time report right now from L.A., and you're seeing the metrics come down a little bit, although they pike, spike back up, and now they're back down again. I think, again, it's trying to show that they're moving cargo. And again, what we always got to remember is cargo movement right now is at record levels. We've yeah. never seen levels this high. And it's not just consumers are buying more. It's because we've changed what we're consuming. We're still ordering what we have in the past. And so we really haven't adjusted yet because the system is not as we like to think it's it's reactive, but it's not as reactive as we like it to be. And again, you're having these these issues being done. So the hyper demerge is, is a great example of that. But at the same time, you have John Picari, who's the port envoy, backing this move while the Federal Maritime Commission, who's doing an investigation into excessive demerge is sitting there and really saying nothing about the imposition of hyper demerge. So you're getting mixed figure, mixed, mixed signals from the government. 
I got to ask you about this. So why? So anybody here with supply chain experience, you, myself, everybody who responds to the posts that we put on Twitter and LinkedIn, I mean, the whole supply chain community is pretty, like, at least people who are making decisions seem pretty woke to what is going on. Yeah. And it's very easy for us to see what is going on here and who is going to be hurt by a measure like this. And the carriers themselves say they're passing it through. So why is the government being so glib about this? And so when they do write-ups, they're like, oh, everything's like, no, let's get going to the carriers here. Yeah. It's not the small shippers getting crushed when that's exactly what's happening. Well, I, like, they have to know. So is this malignant stupidity, as, uh, as the huntsman would say, Ross Kennedy? Or is this by design? And is it because it, they ha it's who they have in that room, which is the people who can use this as a competitive advantage? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there's only so many people or so many entities that the government can even influence in this. Uh, look at that great piece by uh, Greg Miller who talked about the fact that 80% of the supply chain is outside of American hands. He looked at the ocean carriers, he looked at container manufacturing, and he looked at container lessees. And all of them are foreign entities, which is fine. What we did was deregulate ocean shipping. And what it did was provide magnificent transportation for everybody. We were able to ship goods from halfway around the world for almost no cost. I mean, basically goods were, were seamlessly moving in the United States without any transportation costs. But now, when the system is at max capacity, we've ignored it for 15, 20 years and go back to what Craig Fuller wrote in that piece. You know, now all of a sudden we're seeing the attention to it and now we're seeing the system under pressure. There's no way for them really to access it. The FMC, the, the chairman of the FMC came out and said, really, I have no power to regulate the ocean carriers. So what are they doing? They're backing the port of L.A. and Long Beach in this hyper demurrage. They're trying to do things that seems like it will move the, uh, the needle. And no, it truth, looks pretty. That looks pretty. I'm looking at a picture here beautiful. right now from uh, it is from my buddy Derek, who's an ILW crane operator. He took a picture at this, but these these look at these containers. They're almost stacked up to his his crane over here. No, and and that's that's the issue. And and what the dangerous thing, you know, a lot of people have been talking about. Maybe we need to get the government. Maybe we need to get the military involved. The, the danger here we're seeing in the system is it's at max capacity. It is flowing in as much containers as it can. But the output, the movement out of the ports is starting to slow down. And that represents a real breakdown of the system that we have to be aware of. And I think that's the danger that's looming on the horizon right now. I think that's an immediate danger. But, uh, Salvatore, what's your opinion on the long-term effects of this uh, political power struggles, uh, movement of power, that type of stuff? Aren't we in danger of some of that happening? Oh, I, th I think so. I mean, you're seeing supply chain mentioned more than ever before. I mean, you see this becoming my YouTube page all of a sudden took off because people are interested in, in shipping. You're seeing it with freight waves. And this is becoming a common theme because, again, it impacts people. When people are directly impacted, they'll take notice of it. And so we're going to see it legislated. We're going to see it in congressional races. We'll see it in Senate races. We'll see it in presidential races coming up. I don't think this is going away anytime soon because every parameter, every every ma major player is talking about this rolling into 2022. And then if you add the longshoremen renegotiation on the West Coast in next summer, who knows what the impact of that's going to be. The White right. House released its fact sheet on Tuesday. It announced a port action plan that includes policy changes allowing port authorities to redirect savings from previous projects towards mitigating dock, truck, and rail truck choke points, an expedited uh, disbursement process for port grants, faster reviews for major harbor dredge projects, seems good, uh, guidance on how states should direct formula mm -hmm. grants for roads and bridges to freight projects, and establishment of a system for mm -hmm. supply chain data sharing to increase 
visibility. The infrastructure plan includes 17 billion for ports, 24 billion for airports, and 110 billion for roads and bridges. Is 17 billion enough for ports? And, and do you like these measures that are going to try to prevent things in the future? I, I don't think it's enough because one of the things that you're seeing right there is you're tossing more money into LA and Long Beach. Do you want to make LA and Long Beach bigger? Can you make them bigger? Or do we need to diversify? One of the things we've seen over the past 15 years in ocean shipping is consolidation. Consolidation of the ocean carriers, consolidation in the ports. And you know it's a national security issue that 35 to 40% of all containers come in and out of LA and Long Beach. We saw what happened when one container ship went astray in the Suez Canal. What happens if one goes astray into the breakwater into LA and Long Beach? We need to diversify. We need to look at our entire transportation system Holistically, you know, I talked about the fact that L.A. and Long Beach are setting national policy. Nobody elected Gene Soroka and Mario Cardona to do this. They, they, they were appointed to run terminals. They're not appointed to set national policy. And the problem is the federal government has really stepped back. They defanged the Maritime Administration. They defanged the Federal Maritime Commission. And so what you have is local entities, commercial entities who are driving our policy. And they're going to do what's in their best interest locally and for terms of profits. Yeah, so Salvador, speaking of diversification, moving these things and you know not dumping everything into L.A. Long Beach, the lawmakers in both chambers of commerce have introduced the legislation aimed at compensating vehicles or vessel owners, right, that want to divert ships from the U.S. West Coast to the East Coast, right, coming through the Panama, et cetera. Supply Chain Emergency Response Act introduced this week by Senator Rick Scott, Republican Florida, and Rep uh, Representative Carlos uh, Jimenez, Re uh, Republican Florida, redirects $125 million of unspent CARES Act to, to make this happen for those, for those vessels. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, this is all part of that effort to let's use other ports. And let me be clear, ocean carriers know about other ports. They, they would take advantage of this if it was in their best interest. But diverting through the Panama Canal, you have an eight to 10 day wait going through the Panama Canal today. If you're a Neo-Panamax vessel, you have low water levels at Katoon Lake. That's restricting number of vessels going in. You're talking about a, half, a quarter of a million to half a million toll to go one way through the canal. But more importantly, you're adding so much sea time that you need more vessels to land the same amount of containers. And we're not talking about the fact that the port of Houston is at capacity right now. The ports in Florida, Miami, and Jacksonville handle a fraction of what LA and Long Beach handle. What we need, again, is, is this national strategy. We, we, we sorely lack any sort of leadership or national maritime strategy to talk about how we're going to create our infrastructure. What we're heading to is the development of large, massive megaports, L.A., Long Beach, Houston, Savannah, New York, New Jersey. Look at Boston being being uh, bypassed. You know, that is Sal, one of those examples. We're not going into small ports. Sal, so, I mean, have they even considered, like, the trucking equation in this either? Like, do they not understand that Consignees themselves have booked this freight to go to Los Angeles, and they've done it for a reason, because it's priced by the carriers and priced by the market uh, $9,000 less than those East Coast ports are. I mean, there's a reason they're not going there. There's time. And, and this, but who's going to compensate all the consignees who now have to truck all their crap all the way back across the country yeah. um, because all their freight's been repositioned, and the ramifications and the ripples, those are going to have through the supply chain when you put a bunch of stuff in Florida when the infrastructure's not there. No, and, and that, this is the, the lack of knowledge, I would argue, about not just land-based transportation with rail and road, but also with maritime. And, and again, you just can't move between ports seamlessly. Again, as you exactly said, you know, you got to get to the Inland Empire. You, that's where the cargo is mainly going. Got to use that infrastructure of Union Pacific, for example. 
you have to go where it, where it's going. And and more importantly, the shippers are not going to divert. They like going to one port. And this is the problem LA and Long Beach has always had. It's a one-stop shop. You bring your ship in and you dump the entire load right there. And and for a shipper, they love that. They don't have to go to multiple ports. They don't have to pay multiple costs. And what is missing is, and this is because almost all these major shipping lines are overseas, they're not American, there's really no American experience with doing this. And, and we really lack it in the federal level, and we lack it at the state and local level. So, so let's talk about the tracking of these vessels and really getting an incomplete picture of what these vessels are going on here, right? The uh, What is it, the AIS, the Automated Identification System, whatever. Yeah. We're talking about those stopping transmitting, right? Because you've got some new privacy laws going on from China. In, when, no, from China. China November 1st, month, China yeah. did it. Um, how is that going to have an effect? Well, I mean, all of a sudden your visibility has changed. If you get on marine traffic, any of the AIS reports, all you'll see is the satellite information right now off the coast of uh, China. And what that does is a lot of the systems that have been created to track vessels take that data in so that they can coordinate. And this means now that terminals are going to have to directly link with shipping companies to get it. But again, we've got new shipping companies who are playing a part here that we've never seen before who are loading up, coming across, and arriving off ports, waiting for these free berths. So there's not even a visibility. And this is the problem, again, when you start losing the visibility, that means you can't make planning. You know, why is the port of LA, why is Marine Exchange, the PMSA, and the PMA doing this now, a year in? I mean, we've had these backlogs since October mm -hmm. of last year. And now, all of a sudden, they're taking actions. And again, the, I would argue their actions are are ineffective in doing this. They're going to create more problems when you can better schedule these vessels. But again, that requires action on the part of the ocean carriers and the terminals, people we have not seen talking at all. Professor, I want you to grade the Supply Chain Disruption Task Force. Just give them <laughs> one letter and maybe one line on it. What, what would you give them? I, I would give them an incomplete. I don't even want to give them a letter right now because, because one of the, the issues I think that's missing from them is they're missing key players. It's great to have importers and exporters on there. But what you need is not just the, the, the shippers. You need rail. You need road. You need ocean. You need terminals. You need everyone. And this is what government can do. Listen, I'm not a believer that government can fix our problems for us. That's not what I believe. Yeah. But what government can do is bridge across commercial, state, municipal, local lines and bring people together and talk about this. You know, at times of war, you know, my studies had been of military logistics in war. And sometimes you need to bring in someone to just get the right people together in a room, hash out the problem, and I can deal with the paperwork, the law, deal with the issues above it. Let's come up with a plan. And the problem is right now, everybody's looking at their small slice of the cake, but they're not looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. All right, Sal, we got to send you the Wheel good. of Stupid oh. Questions before we send you home for the weekend. So spin that thing, Michael Vincent, let us know where it lands on. There you go. All right. Sal, you ready? I'm if ready. You, Let's go. All right. If you were a professional burglar, what would be your subtle signature you leave behind? Ooh. Subtle, subtle signature I'd leave behind. Uh, I, I, I think I would have to leave a, uh, a, a small little camel behind every time I go to let them know that, 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 you know, they, they, they've been, you know, attacked by the, the phantom camel, the phantom camel. Can you do a camel there call? You Are you good? At, can, can, can you call the like camels? That, right? How do you call the camel? I, 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 we don't have a camel call, and I will not do a camel call because <laughs> okay. I guarantee you that face that face would not be good. You know why I'm asking <laughs> you? Because you said, all right, we can't have the hogs just being called on here. So, you know, they have the pig suey, and yeah. I was wondering if there was a Ooh, camel call. Pig suey. Like, uh, uh, something like that. I we, guess not, though, we have, 
we have roll humps, and and I also brought my roll tide uh, a banner up here to kind Ooh. of to kind of get rid of some of that Arkansas that was in here for uh, next week. Ooh, All right. Well, hey, yeah. Sal, thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> Keep spreading the good word on uh, on Twitter and your YouTube channel and all those wonderful things. Take care, sir. It's nice to be with you guys. Thanks. Have a great weekend. <laughs> now, I got some good news. Our The video system has been fixed, so some of the things we're going to oh, jump good. to in the all open, right, cool. we were. And one of them was with George Abernathy. So we had a great moment with, with him. He was able to come up here with us. And, you know, let's just stop. Let's just show it. Roll the tape. Pro days. You've earned something here. <laughs> this is something Uh-oh. that... Kate Juliao won one of these for winning a competition at Transparency 19, my first time. Right. Yep. Emily Zink got one of these in December when she left the company. Got it. And you're getting one now, too. Oh, wow. Take a look inside there. Thank you so very much. I'm, I'm okay, I'm going to cry. I am going to cry. You can hear me. He's the first male we see. I have a feeling I know, <laughs> I know, know what this is going to be. Oh, my go. God. It's your own cowbell. It's my own cowbell. Oh, that's so sweet of you guys. And... I am. I am gonna. I am gonna. I am going to. Uh, I am gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. So you guys. Well, don't cry. You guys Just are... bang it. Here, give it. Right, yeah, let's give us go. A cowbell right, out, man. Right. We need. We need more cowbell. Woo! There's nothing like cowbell. So <laughs> thank right. you, sir. And now, George, you can't leave. Oh, all right. Take a trip oh, to the wheel. Oh, oh not wheel. the wheel of stupid questions. Stupid no. Questions. <laughs> Just listen to yesterday's episode. It was uh, day three. You can find um, that episode and all the backlog if you go. If you look up. Fr- if you look up Freightcast, wherever you get your podcast from, um, you'll be able to check those out. We got, or just look up What the Truck. Um, yeah. One more thing we wanted to show you. This played after our event at F3. And by the way, George, thank you for coming on the show and the kind words you share with us on air Absolutely. and off air afterwards. Uh, we also got to take a trip over to Alliance Partners to find out how they're growing the company through multiculturalism, diversity, and, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, great speaking visit. the language of the globe. Let's, let's check out the segment. We are the largest transportation agency in the country that's exclusively dedicated to trucking logistics. We've got competitors, but for the most part, they're generalist and they do a little bit of everything. So we feel like that singular focus really does serve as a competitive advantage for us. Dooner and the Dude here at Reliance Partners HQ. That seems to be getting a little bit bigger. You may notice the echo in here. It's under construction. Chat. Well, we're expanding our space here in Chattanooga, so we're in temp space right now, but as of next week, we will be moving into this location, and really excited about that. Wow, and who's here with you? I've got Laura Ann Howe, our COO. Hey, guys. Laura, tell us about the move and what's going on here. The expansion is, you guys are growing greatly, right? Yeah, totally. So we have grown exponentially year over year, about 75% growth, Chad. I mean, it's like just been an exciting story for us. So as we've been growing, we realized we need the space to accommodate. So we located this awesome space, downtown Chattanooga, and we've already filled it up. So we're expanding even beyond that. So we're pumped to be in in this building. Now, Chad, I understand you have multiple locations, including in Chicago and Nashville, but you've decided to put HQ right here in Chattanooga. Why invest in the scenic city? Well, I mean, obviously, this is, I know we get in the debate, Chicago versus Chattanooga, but we believe this is the hub of transportation and logistics per capita. Uh, but we have a location in Chicago as well. I feel like it's a great business environment. We found a lot of talented people here and, and just a lot of transportation logistics focus in general throughout the city. 
So you guys, uh, you guys talk a lot about your inclusivity and your 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 global nature, your culture that's here. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. We have 29 nationalities represented by our team, 25 languages spoken. We recognize that diversity of perspective, diversity of experience really drives business value. Not only does it create awesome culture and team inclusivity, it's allowed us to meet our clients' needs more specifically and broadly. So we get to service trucking companies and again, multiple languages on the service side and on the sales side, and it's allowed us to really expand those networks. And so it's a competitive advantage for us in more ways than one. Lut til what the truck. I'll put the truck Вы слухаєте, що за вантажівка? Слухай до What the Truck. Escuchen a What the Truck. Тамі What the Truck не сам лідаєчо. Анта кайма. Ви слухаєте, що за грузовик? Y'all are listening to What the Truck. The supply chain is globally connected. How does having all these different nationalities and all these different speakers help fuel this growth and build these bigger spaces? Well, I would say we try to mirror the industry that we serve. And so we're talking about transportation, trucking in general. Uh, the days of kind of the Western cowboy trucker, those are gone. Trucking's extremely diverse. And so we've really tried to mirror that within our workforce and, you know, the global nature of trucking and obviously a number of immigrants that have gone into the business as they moved to the States. We see it, as Lauren said, as a huge competitive advantage, being able to go and focus on languages across the spectrum and be able to service companies that may prefer a different language other than English. Hey, we're during the great resignation, right? A lot of places are having trouble keeping employees within the house, but you guys are growing rapidly. You're expanding as we talked about with this location here. How are you attracting talent to Reliance? Well, we've been very aggressive with recruiting efforts, and we recognize right now, I mean, the, the tight job market, it is difficult finding people. We've been really successful with retention. We've tried to create a work environment that people want to be part of. It's fun. It's exciting. We've got ping pong. We're going to have basketball here. We've got games. Uh, so we feel like the environment that we've created and just the culture as a whole really draws people into our company. Wow. So tell me this, how in, in this growth, how are you attracting all these different nationalities into your... We are strategically targeting different groups of people when our recruiting efforts. So we know that we want to attract Spanish language skills. We will go and recruit um, out of our different Spanish communities within the different offices that we work. So, And that's just an example of the ways that we recruit those different types of team members. And I grew up in an insurance family. My dad was insurance for all of his life. So it was a hard sell to me when I was younger. It took me a while to really understand the value of insurance. How are you attracting young people and getting them excited about insurance? Maybe we'll throw this one to Lori. I haven't asked you yet. Um, yeah, let's all agree insurance is not sexy. Can we all agree to that? Yes. <laughs> um, I, something about the, the way that we've built and cultivated our community within Reliance is what's begetting the success. So we bring people in. They can feel it when they walk into the doors. It is family-oriented, team, team first, frankly. And so while it's hard to attract people initially with the, hey, you're going to work in trucking insurance, once they get in the doors, they let their friends know they're friends of friends. And we created this brand, this employment brand that we found to be a successful way to recruit. That was a great time at Reliance Partners, where we learned that in the chess match of proper insurance coverage, people are more than pawns in the success of a business. And with people ping-ponging around during the Great Resignation, Reliance has fostered a culture of multiculturalism that has not only kept their staff on site, but attracted a whole host of new candidates, so much so that they're expanding their office. In this globally connected world, people, process, and places work in concert with one another to deliver success. Yeah, 
it was a good time at Reliance Partners. Uh, you, <laughs> we've been to Taman now, right? And we've been yeah. to Reliance. If you want a What the Truck office invasion, yeah. you know to find me, at Timothy Duner on Twitter, or look me up on LinkedIn. Hey, uh, we can have fun. Let's talk to reporter Grace Sharkey. She's a woman of her word and a woman of even Kaylee Nix's word. Yeah, and something I right. know is she said, even if the freight community, even if they donate one single dollar to St. Chris's, I'll dye my hair blue. Take a look. Take a look at that hair. There it is. What's up, Grace? It's gorgeous, isn't it? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Got an old school What the Truck shirt on, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from uh, Chicago, I believe. I have a uh, conspiracy theory. Christmas lights are yes. rigged to only last one season. True or false? Uh, true. True. Completely true. It happened to me last night. I was hoping to have a Christmas display in here for you guys today, and all it took was one move, and they're dead. So, <laughs> completely true. Yeah, either wiring goes, or the the coloring comes right off the bulbs, right? That's sure. it. The exterior ones, it's just, they wash right off, right? It's like water-based paint. Yes, exactly. Absolutely awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. So, Grace, tell us about the hair. What, pro what prompted you to decide to just sort of jump the gun on everybody else and go True Blue? Is it in celebration of F3, in celebration of the spirit of giving? You know, a mixture of both. I won't lie. I honestly, I have dyed my hair in the past, so I had um, good friends with a hairdresser, and so I had uh, uh, different colors on me already. And then I saw Kaylee and Ryan and everyone getting involved with dyeing their hair blue, and I, I you know... I, you and I both gave to uh, St. Christopher's through the art auction, and there's been a couple of different initiatives I've tried to help them with. And so I figured, you know what? Even if we don't hit that goal this weekend, I'm dying my hair blue. Why not? Why? For, it's for freight waves. It's for the festival. It's for freight tech top uh, 25. It's it's for whatever it needs to be, and it, I think it turned out great. So we'll have a couple of weeks here with with this vibrant blue. That's for sure. Yeah, well, cheers to you, Grace. It looks great as well, I, I have to say. You're almost shaming me into getting mine dyed for next week just to make up for what's going on. But what? So tell me about F3. F3 was awesome, right? It was a great festival. What were your highlights? What's your takeaways? I, you know, I will say I'm a little biased because I really did love uh, Craig's talk with Peter from Carrier Direct on, on just the industry in general, M&A, freight tech, and all of that. Um, but you know what? And this brings me back to even Chicago where I got the shirt. As someone who has been in operations, more of like the technical side of a brokerage in the past, I really do love the demo segments of of what we do. Um you know, it's, it can be time consuming as an executive to put together, you know, all of these different companies demos within even like, I mean, honestly, like a quarter. So to be able to like sit here and watch all of the ones that you're more than likely interested in in a row and also in incredible detail with those companies also speaking on their technology at the same time, it's it's like a, it's honestly the perfect place for anyone in this industry to go if they're looking at adding more technology into their their suite of uh, of tech in house. So I love it. I love the Chicago event that we had for the same reason. I could sit there as an operations person and see everything I was interested in, how they you know either relate to each other or connect to each other, and you get a it's a like a one stop shop to see all of the best technology within the industry. You know, in in the logbook last week, I agree with with all you're saying. But in the logbook last week, uh, you you highlighted the UPS Foundation. We have a video from that. Let's take a look at the video real quick here. Since 1951, the UPS Foundation has been delivering help where it's needed most. 
anywhere in the world. We're delivering health and humanitarian relief, equity and economic empowerment, local community engagement, and planet protection. Very cool, Grace. So real quick, what was going on with that? What was uh, what were you talking about in the logbook? So it's their, it's their 70th anniversary this year. And really what I wanted to have our readers be able to dive into is how they're giving back to not just our community, their own employees, but just the world in general. In August, they came out with a really great report that I want to say it's somewhere around 10 pages long that dives into all of the just different ways they give back to the community, whether it's, you know, just making sure that their employees are, are getting uh, the time off they need for COVID when the, um, the pandemic was going on, or if it's helping with different um, mentorship programs in inner cities, they just have their hands in everything. So I wanted to get a chance to commend them for just 70 years of that effort and also just allow our readers to see, okay, you know, the, we all love the guys in brown, right? <laughs> um, that deliver our packages. But look what they're doing with with the the funds that they're able to get, their profits, how they're giving back to the community, and how they're even maybe helping um, different uh, countries around the world as well. So they do a lot, and I would highly suggest checking out that that study that they uh, had. I think it was in August, and it's in the article as well, um, just to see how their initiatives impact all different types of communities across the globe. New yeah. logbook out this weekend? Yes, veterans theme. So um, some different ways that com um, companies and, and people and uh, one of my favorite companies that I'm going to be highlighting is, uh, well, really a nonprofit group is Wreaths Across America, which I believe you might have on your show. It sounds like maybe next week, but um, just different ways that the trucking, the trucking industry is giving back to veterans, seeing that what one in four actually are veterans, um, not just how, you know, they completely hold up the trucking industry in general, but how the trucking industry is, is going back and saying, thank you for your service as well. So that should be a really fun one for you guys. Very cool. Yeah. So Grace, we have a, uh, wheel of stupid question of the day, right? We already asked this. Hope you haven't heard it. Uh, but if you did, I'm sure it's going to be a great answer. Just ask the question. So here it is. No. If you were a professional burglar, what would your subtle signature leave behind be? Hmm. Uh, honestly, like, <laughs> like I probably like steal, like steal a beverage or something like out of their fridge. Just like something really like, or like, uh, just steal something small that like they wouldn't like, I guess one I'm shoe. burgling. Like one shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One shoe. Yeah. <laughs> No, that would be good. Like putting something in someone's shoes. So mm. even though they like you rob them, but also they go to put their shoes on and then like there's pudding in there, something like that. Yeah. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Grace. Thank you for joining us. I love the hair. You look great. All right, let's go over to the Balkans, man. Boris Panov, load planner at A2B Cargo. There he is. Come on up to the stage, sir. How are you? Hi, my name is Boris I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Let me just change my position a bit. You look good, like sir. Yeah, your your position is perfect. What, what are the, how are Where things are over in uh, North Macedonia? I mean, it's getting dark, to be honest. So everything is running smooth. Everything is running okay. We're doing 
perfectly fine. So it's really exciting to be part of your show, guys. No, it's great to have you there. So, Boris, what, what market are you playing in? Are you a logistics scene in the Balkans, and what is that like? Uh, I mean, the definition that we can provide for our company is that we are kind of independent company that provides uh, logistics services in the United States market. So oh, we, okay. we don't do anything in the Europe market. We just uh, do it in the United States market. We provide uh, services on every single field, like operations, safety, human resources, accounting, recruiting, and all of that. Well, I mean, it's, but you are from the, the North Macedonia area. Have you noticed anything? Like, what have you noticed about dealing with the American market or dealing with the American trucker or the American broker that maybe you weren't even, you weren't even prepared for until you started talking to uh, us Americans? Any surprises there? Uh, I mean, not really. So, you know, I've been in America, so I kind of deal with Americans in personal before I started the job. But what us as company make us special is the thing that, uh, you know, we kind of try to uh, provide the spirit that we witness it uh, on the people who haven't done that, you know. So dealing with Americans, it's not any issue at all. At the beginning, when we started, we kind of think about it, that we might face with something, some difficult, and, you know, everything is running behind the camera like we do it right now. But, you know, uh, we kind of took the risk and, I can gladly say that we succeeded, you know, so. Absolutely. And Boris, you know, it's hard for people to rise to the top and be called the damn good quarterback and truck or trucking quarterback. Right. And you've risen to the, the fame of a, a Brady of trucking quarterbacks. How do you do that all the way from Macedonia and people right yeah, here? That's from a LinkedIn comment it, right? on, a, on LinkedIn. One of your recommendations says you've been called a very damn good quarterback. How does one become the Brady of trucking QBs? Uh, you know, we, experiment at the beginning. So, you know, what we do as companies, we invest in people. So we, the customer service we provide either on the brokerage side that we serve in either for the driver, it's kind of brought us where we're at now, you know? So uh, how we kind of succeed the last quarter, which we work a lot harder than a usual company does. We invest in people. We kind of brought a lot of people to get involved in it. And all those small details that we put a lot of attention in it, it's kind of not even make a difference. No, no, Boris, this is a, a, but, 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 hold on a second, Boris, let me gong you. This is a, this was a comment about you personally, not your company. How do you become a great quarterback? I didn't understand it. I apologize about it. I mean, uh, Donner, I, since the day number one, I started working really hard. You know, when I was invited to become part of it, you know, I knew it from the day number one, I need to put all the effort from me to get where I, I need to get, you know. So, you know how logistics works. We've been part of it for a lot of years. So, you know, we work. I work 24 hours. I'm available for the people all the time. I provide the service I need to provide. And, you know, that's that's nothing special. I'm just who I am, you know. All right. Yeah, the good fundamentals. You know what? There's two languages in life that are universal, and that is love and memes, my friend. Absolutely. On LinkedIn, you're very well known for your memes. Let's take a look at some of them. Come on, let's start bringing some of these memes up here. This one is a nice Squid Game one. If you saw our Halloween costume, it was uh, life before logistics and life after one year in logistics. But this year, it might be like... I don't know, three weeks in logistics, right, Michael Vincent? Or a couple hours, right? That looks that looks rough right there, man. <laughs> Boris, let me ask you something. Have you found that, because this is a serious question, have, have memes really helped you connect, especially with just universal audiences? Because there's really no language barrier. They're like the new uh, like newspaper cartoon. Not new. I mean, memes have been around for a while. But they're, they're basically like newspaper cartoons now for people who are under 60 years old. Uh, 
I mean, Donald, to explain you how I do it, that's kind of described me as, and my personality. You know, about the man that me, you uh, shared now, I didn't kind of waste a whole lot of time to create it. It just, I see it. And I know a lot of people are going to relate to it, you know. So exactly now it's Friday until I got online on your show. I have like five issues appeared at the same moment, you know, and I try to kind of show the people how stressful this job is. And, you know, we try at least for a moment, have laugh at it. You know, I, I totally understand LinkedIn. It's not a place that people kind of want to uh, spend time to cities, but, you know, after all those let's say bad things happening uh, in the last year with the rates uh, of fuel going up, with all those containers stacking up at the ports and all that stuff. I just want to share with the people the message and, and kind of uh, show them that there is something that they can at least laugh for a second, you know. So that's the main goal that I'm kind of trying to uh, share with the people with this, with this content, you know. Well, be beautiful, man. I love it. You know what? Some people have said that some people commented and maybe it's like people who grew up in the nineties. They like kind of that grunge look that the, the Mona Lisa had, right. It was a little bit more rock and roll. Oh than, yeah. Uh, yeah. It certainly was. By the way, if you've ever been to the, the, the Louvre, it's a very disappointing painting. It's like, it's like this big. It, is there one last meme? Did you guys forget I mean, to show one last meme? Then, then get that up here. Right. Is, the, yeah. is that the one in bed or no? All right. They got one in preview. I'm not sure if they showed you. Hey Boris, yeah, how do yeah. people reach in and connect with you? Uh, you know, when, all of this with memes uh, story started, you know, which started, I started to get at some point recognized, you know, and I kind of put myself in a spot where me as a manager of a company, is it the right thing to do it on a professional uh, platform? You know, so that was, <clears throat> sorry, something that kind of put question marks on my head, but, you know, after kind of posting the first one, I see I got uh, reached a half million people. And after <laughs> posting only one, there are people reaching out to me and asking me to do business. And, you know, I've kind of got myself in a place where I say, okay, you're not unprofessional doing it. You're just growing up your network and you kind of find easily way to do business with people. And that's exactly what happened, you know, so. Thanks, Boris. Yeah, we appreciate that. But where do people reach out to learn more? How do people connect with you? Do you have a web address? Uh, no, I only use it. LinkedIn as my professional uh, platform and I use some other stuff, but they're not too much active. Cool. You know, I, I really very good. Thank you, Boris. Hard. Boris, yeah. thank you. We're, we're short on time here. We appreciate you. Uh, appreciate okay. coming to look at yeah. Boris Panoff. His you can also click on him in the LinkedIn notes if you want to see his memes. Yeah, thank absolutely. you very much, sir. His memes are awesome. Thank, thank you, you for coming on the show. Guys. We appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate your time today. All right, let's let's close out this week with a little good news, bad news. Why? Oh, don't let's we? do it. I hope they're okay. I hope I think they're okay. they will be. They'll be all right. All yeah. right, let's see here. What do we got here? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, some good news, right? Yeah. This truck is coming out. Roll the tape. Let's take a look at this thing. We got sound on this thing? There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This all is right. incredibly cool. It is cool. So this is Geely's commercial vehicle brand, Farazone Auto. It unveiled a next-generation smart new energy semi-truck the home truck, and unlike everybody else out there who's trying to make autonomous trucks and, and autonomous trucks and kick the driver out of the cab, they're making a cab that you wouldn't want to leave, right? See yeah. Life reports the design includes a bathroom complete with a shower and toilet, a single bed, refrigerator, tea maker, kitchen, and even a small washing machine. I mean, that's a big that's a big sell there. That's huge. The aerodynamic seat design and high definition cameras will help ensure drivers are well rested and well focused. Whereas an intelligent AI assist 
coupled with full 360 degree cameras help keep the driver aware of any issues around the vehicle. Wells in motion, look at this guy right here. He's having the, he's having the time of his life. He just presses the button on his remote. He's, he's doing a little sightseeing, isn't he? Yeah, he's out there. He's kicked back. He's relaxed. It looks like something, look at this. Not a care in the world. The turns. Not a How care long in the world, would you have to sit in that cab before you're oh, that look at relaxed? This. Look at this thing. Oh, it even oh. has a turbo button. So there's some guy just crawling up the hill. You can blow right past him. Look at that. You hit the Nas. Yeah. The Nas button, like Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Nas button. Right? Really cool truck, right? Well, all right, here's the bad news. You might have noticed a few things when you were watching that video. That was like that was a lot of rendering and CGI. There was a lot of fake that, stuff that going, on going on there. Going on there. So there's a little little uh, CGI. <laughs> also, it may not be available until 2024. It's being made in China, so it may not ever be available in the U.S. And CLF, they made a good call out there. If you're looking at the trailer on that, right, that aerodynamic yeah. trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if it's cut, if it has to use that thing, they're in big, big trouble because most 53 foot people don't people yeah. want modular 53 foot trailers, not some proprietary. Yeah, yeah, there's no system. drop and hook happening no. there. I don't think. I don't think it's going on. It does look cool, though. <laughs> it does. It looks very, very cool. So, hey, good news, man. You're Alex yeah. Rodriguez in, of Embark. Yeah. You're 26 years old. You rang the bell at NASDAQ, and you came out at five, what is it, 5.9 million? Billion? 5.2 billion or something. 5.2 billion, something like that. So, good news. And we had him on. He's a great guy, yeah. man. And But here's the bad news, man. Yeah. Don't let, let this get you down, Alex Rodriguez. Keep it rolling mm. and keep rolling, brother. But it's down 10% today, my friend. Ooh. Went from 5.2 to 3.5. Um, so a little bit of bad news there, but keep rolling, my friend. It's tough, man, because Rivian came out recently too, and they're they're just yeah. they're up like sixty three percent over the, uh, it, it, just this week alone. Yeah, and, and I don't understand. Embark is is great, and they're positioning themselves. I th I like his I like I like where he's going with with what he's doing there as well. Yeah. Well, uh, bad news. A a large pig named. Papa Pig uh, with cost. Look, look at this I giant call pig. Him sir, pig <laughs> that guy is humongous. He caused. Yeah, yeah. He looks like something from a Miyazaki film. Uh, <laughs> the, a large pig named Papa Pig. He created a traffic issue in New York. In, uh, sorry, not New York. In York County Thursday night. York County service officials say Old New York Road at Ernest Road is where two lanes were closed due to this giant pig blocking lanes, which caused uh, some onlooker delays as well. Who wouldn't look at this pig? Well, good news. You can see right there. That's their owner. So South Carolina deputies. They came to the rescue live. For Live Live Five reports, deputies said Papa Pig's owners were located and they attempted to load him and take him home. But the York County Sheriff's Office says that the pig was so large that it broke their trailer. Papa, <laughs> the Papa Pig, he was, it took him only three minutes to wrangle him by Mountain Patrol Officer Mark McCanter because he had a Snickers bar. But uh, Mr. Pig, <laughs> I don't know if he gave him Snickers, I'm making that up. But I don't know, the big Probably. pig broke the trailer, they had to get another trailer. But either way, he's off the road and he's safe now. Are you sure that wasn't a cow and a pig outfit? That was I mean, a gigantic, that thing was huge, man. Hey, I got good news for you. Yeah, I hope we got pictures of this right here. Your your uh, your uh, Sherwin Williams uh, order is in. <laughs> it is, but uh, here's the bad news, man. Yeah. Show them the picture where this thing is. See, it's it's off that bridge right there. Eighty one. It drove Kinda. off eighty one yeah. on Bethel in Bethel Township, Pennsylvania, and it landed Look, on. There you go. Look so at there that it is. shot right there. It landed there. on St. Wow. John's and and Basiles Road. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good news. No no paint spilled and and no blood spilled. Driver walked away with scratches, my friend. Amazing. Amazing when you look at that. Oh, it is unbelievable. It's right on there. his nose, man. It's like darted right in there. Driver, unbelievable. Uh, not going to make that mistake again, right? No, probably. Well, probably going to stay awake. You need Optimus Primer. <laughs> Try and stay awake this time. Optimus Primer will get him out of a situation like that, Michael. Yes, it's the only hey, way. Hey, it's been, a, it's been a, a full week of F3 on this show. We had four episodes this week, so if you didn't catch them, they're all available on demand. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Look them up on the FreightWaves TV app or go to TV.FreightWaves.com. 
whatthetruckwears.com. If you like to listen to this in audio like I do, look up What the Truck wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you want a full trail load of Freightways podcasts, look up Freightcast. Sign up for the newsletter. You can also do it at FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs>